And uh, welcome to At The Movies at Chase Oaks. Really glad that you are here. We're going to be each week building the talk and the service around a movie, an epic movie, like the one we're about to talk about. And great movies do a great job of doing a couple of things. One is they're engaging, they're fun, but they're also impactful. And we'll see that with each of these movies. And on the fun side, you know, today is Top Gun Maverick is the one that we're talking about. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go see it. It is an incredible movie. And, uh, or if you can't go see it anymore, you can see it at home. But I remember when we saw it at the theater, people clapped. And they clapped loud enough that you kind of expected Tom Cruise to come out and say, thank you very much, you know, appreciate it. That didn't happen. But people were just into it. And, and I remember feeling that way all the way back to the first movie. You know, it's, a, it's, the, it's two movies. The first one in 1986 is when it came out. And that was a big deal. And it was groundbreaking as a movie because uh, not only was it a great story, but the sound effects and the special effects were just took everything to a new level. And it happened to be right when home theaters started to be a thing. Like Dolby Pro Logic was out and people were starting to buy uh, sound systems for their home and surround sound. And, and if you, I, I remember, you know, some cool parents of some friends who had those kind of thing. And if you, that, it, it just came at the perfect time because when you went to their house for them to show off their new sound system, this was the movie they always put in because with all the planes, and I was like, yeah, I was going all, and it held up for a long time. Like well, it still holds up. But I remember years later when I had my own kids and they were little and as a young pastor family, we were always looking for ways to do things for free and, uh, and to keep the kids busy. And one of the things at the time, uh, in our area, it's not there anymore, but there was a Fry's Electronics. And go, taking kids to movies is expensive, but at Fry's Electronics, they had the little home theater thing set up, the little movie room. So I figured we could just go to movies for free, which we did. And we would go, and I even, uh, it, it, they always kept a little closet thing where the system was uh, open. So I could just push start again and start the movie over. And often it was that, it was the first Top Gun that was showing to show off the speakers and all that. So this is one of those I've seen a lot. So we're going to experience that part of the movie and then we'll talk about the impactful part. But for fun, I want us to, because uh, we've got a great sound system, whatever campus you're at. Now, if you're at home, you may have a great sound system too right now watching. But at whatever campus you're at, as part of this church family, your family has a pretty good sound system. So... We're going we're gonna to just watch a scene, a fight scene, and then we'll talk about the movie. All right. I know you wanted to keep going. But, uh, you know, it's amazing because Tom Cruise insisted that they, it wasn't a CG movie, that all of those actors learn how to fly. They all took flying lessons and learn eventually getting up to those planes, and, and it, which is pretty amazing. And that is fun, but it's also, like good movies are, impactful. Because movies have a way of tapping in to our heart, tapping into our mind and in a really powerful way, the power of story. And, and this movie is built around a really powerful theme. And that theme is shame. And how easy it is to get stuck in shame and guilt and, and hold on to it in a way that we, uh, that we can't move on. And that, that's what you see in the movie. So in the first movie, the first Top Gun... You know, we're introduced to Maverick as a young guy, and he's brash, and he's arrogant, 
and he's an incredible pilot, and he's reckless, and he's got some of his own family demons he's working out to, but he takes risks that he shouldn't, and that catches up with him. Because if you remember in the movie, his best friend, Goose, who is in the plane with him all the time, uh, Maverick's the main pilot, he does whatever else you do when you're in that other seat, and he does something he didn't have to do, he's reckless, the plane, they lose control, uh, they eject, and it malfunctions in Goose's case, and he's killed, and Maverick has that to live with for the rest of his life. The guilt and the shame. Now, he's able to put it aside in that movie for long enough to be able to accomplish the mission, and it's heroic, and you're like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But in the long run, what we see by the second movie, decades later in his life, is he has not moved on. That act has defined him in the shame and the guilt that he feels, and he's stuck. Now, to get a little sense of his stuckness is a quick little conversation that we're going to see between his commander, who's giving him a new mission. Um, well, let's just watch. Maverick, 30 plus years of service, combat medals, citations, only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years, distinguished, 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 yet you can't get a promotion, you won't retire, and despite your best efforts you refuse to die. He's obviously got the gift of encouragement, if you know what that is. But, uh, but the truth is, Maverick is stuck. He's still a captain, still the same rank in the second movie as he was in the first movie. Um, he, uh, he should have been an admiral by then, but he wasn't. Because he kept sabotaging himself. Not just his career, but his relationships as well. Sabotaging himself, sabotaging himself. Because he's stuck in shame and guilt because of that act. And I bet... A lot of people in this room, well, all of us can relate to shame and guilt because we all mess up, we all sin, but maybe you could relate to how, how powerful it can be or how easy it can be with just, all it takes is one moment in your life, one bad decision, one stupid thing, one angry moment, one foolish time, and it affects the rest of your life. And maybe it's a, a DUI, maybe it's an affair, maybe it's a bad decision made at work that, that stains your career, or maybe it's a party life gone too far and it causes lots of problems. Or maybe it's not a one-time thing, maybe it's just an ongoing struggle with, with an addiction, or with a party life gone too far, or... Maybe it is an affair, or maybe it is a broken marriage, or I don't know, but whatever those things are can just get us stuck in thinking and, and labeled as failure, loser, not worthy. Sometimes it's not even about what we do. Sometimes it's things that have been done to us. We're a victim. And even though people tell us we shouldn't be ashamed because we didn't do anything wrong, we still feel shame. And that, too, labels us and marks us. And what do you do when you get stuck? Because it's really easy to get stuck in shame. 
I mean, shame is not like embarrassment. Embarrassment's easy. We all get embarrassed. We all do stupid stuff and get embarrassed. Like some years ago, I remember meeting a first-time visitor, a girl, and I, you know, met her after church. You know, I was down here by the front and meeting new people, and I met her, and, and I made the, I asked the wonderful question that you should never ask. So when are you expecting? And of course she wasn't. And I never saw her again. And it was so embarrassing and I felt terrible. But I don't feel ongoing shame, right? I, I was able to get over that. We're talking about not just embarrassing things, but something that sticks with us. That, that sort of defines us. Shame is even more powerful than guilt. And there's a difference. I mean, guilt is powerful. But here's the difference between shame and guilt. Lewis Smead says this, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. Another writer says a pervasive sense of shame is the ongoing premise that one is fundamentally bad, inadequate, defective, unworthy, are not fully valid as a human being. It's easy to feel that way. When we do it to ourselves, we can be really hard on ourselves and not let that go and, and, and let that become our label, let that become the way we think about ourselves. And if that's not enough, we also have Satan, the Bible lets us know, and Satan is, the Bible calls him, one of the things it calls him is the accuser of the brethren. Meaning even though we may be forgiven if you know Jesus, he is the accuser of the brethren that keep, will keep bringing stuff up and keep bringing stuff up and keep bringing stuff up and convince us that we shouldn't let it go. That we are dirty, unworthy, bad, whatever it is. And, and if that's not enough, we also have other people. And sometimes other people in our life just keep reminding us and keep reminding us and keep reminding us. And you see that in the movie as well. And um, as part of the, one of the other themes is Goose, who, you know, died in the first movie, has a son. His call sign, Rooster. And when Tom Cruise, when the Maverick character is recruited to do this mission and train these pilots, these young Top Gun pilots, the best pilots in the world, to do almost an impossible mission in the movie, Rooster's one of those pilots. And he's stuck too, but he's stuck in unforgiveness. And he has the opportunity to move on, and so does Maverick. And we're going to talk about, from the Bible, what it means to let it go. And what it means not to get stuck in shame, but be able to live freely. And not get stuck in unforgiveness, but live freely and fully the way God wants us to. But there's a pivotal scene in the movie that's a longer scene that I want to show. Because it is a powerful scene. It is a pivotal scene. And my prayer is that this weekend might be a pivotal weekend for some of us. So let's watch. So you may remember Iceman from the first movie, who's an admiral in the second movie, also terminal cancer, and he dies in the second movie. But that pivotal scene is where he says, Maverick, it's time to let go. And of course, it's way past time to let go, but it's never too late. It's time to let go. That one act that has defined his life, it's time to let go. 
And for some of us in this room that are holding on to shame, they're holding on to guilt, it is also time to let go. And you can make that choice. But what does that look like? Because I think for a lot of people, it'd be like, hey, look, okay, good. I, if, I wanna, if I can let go, I would. How do you do that? Now, if you don't have a relationship with God, it's a lot harder. But there's some things you can do. You can process what you've done. Not just bury it, but process it. Not only what you did, but why and why would I do that and why does that, what's going on there? You can make amends with other people and ask for forgiveness if you've hurt other people. You can choose to forgive yourself, which is a powerful thing. And we all, that's powerful for all of us, whether we have a relationship with God or not. But for those who have a relationship with God, and that's available to anybody, we have a huge opportunity bigger than that. Because God does not want you and me to be stuck in shame and guilt. He wants us to bring shame and guilt for what we've done. Even brokenness for what's happened to us. He doesn't want us to get stuck in that. Even unforgiveness. He doesn't want to get stuck in that either. But to bring it to him. To the cross. Because Jesus came to take away the guilt of sin. To take away the shame of sin. He came. He died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that we could be raised to new life. And in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul who wrote a bunch of the New Testament. And he's maybe the best guide for that because if anybody had reason to be stuck in guilt and shame, he did. If you know Paul's story, you know that before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a religious guy who hated this upstart Christianity, who thought it was not a good thing. And not by himself, but at the blessing of the religious establishment, he led a terrible persecution that turned Christians' lives upside down, that forced many out of their homes and businesses, split families apart, put many people in prison, and even put some to death. And then Paul meets Jesus, and his life is changed, and he becomes a Christian. But think about it. I mean, he was a murderer of innocent people whose only crime was becoming a Christian. And if anybody had reason to get stuck in shame and guilt, it would be him. But that's the good news of the, what we call the gospel, which is a, just great for good news. What Jesus came to do. Here's how he talks about it. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says this. Anyone who belongs to Christ, when we begin a relationship with Jesus, which is just by faith, he offers forgiveness as a gift. It's not about doing something and make up for our bad. When we say yes to him, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. We can move on because he puts to death the old life and raises us up to a new life. And notice the word anyone. In, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. And you know what anyone means in Greek? Anyone. Anyone. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could say everyone. Anyone and Everyone. You think, oh, no, you don't know what I've done, or you don't know what's happened to me, or you don't know anyone. I mean, think about it. Paul was a murderer of innocent people whose crime was Christianity. Maybe you've done something worse than that. But even if you have, it doesn't matter. Anyone is anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, which means we really can move on. The old is gone and a new life has begun. All those old labels and ways that we define ourselves or other people label us, those don't matter anymore because when we begin a relationship with Jesus, we become 
and are also in the process of becoming a new person. The old is gone. And the new has become. We don't have to be stuck in shame and guilt because that's gone. Paul talks about it also in Philippians 3. And he talks about a discipline that he has that keeps him unstuck. Here's what he says. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, talking about spiritual maturity. Or that I've already reached perfection, meaning I'm not there yet. God sees me as perfect because of the work of Jesus and I'm in process. Yeah, we all are who know Jesus trying to catch up with that. So he says, I'm not there, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Now, I love this because math was never my strong subject. I mean, I'd made good grades because I was one of those people who was motivated to do that, but it was never my favorite. And so... I kind of relate to Paul on this one. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Does that not sound like two things, right? And, uh, but hey, whatever, new math. So I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What he's saying is the way my Christian life works, the way I make it work is I do this one thing and I have to focus on it. That when I'm tempted to get stuck in shame and guilt and I hear the whisper of the enemy of Satan accusing me and trying to drag me down into guilt and shame. I remember what Jesus has done in my life and I forget the past and I look to what God is doing in my life. I I, I, I don't get stuck in the past. I forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. And the past can be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, three minutes ago. I don't get stuck in that because the Christian life is not perfection. We're going to, sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes two step forward and one step back. But he's saying, you know, I just don't. I don't focus on my failures because those are forgiven. I just keep pressing. And, and I, I want to obey God and I want to keep taking steps with him. And, and I can. I don't have to get stuck. I can keep moving forward no matter what I've done in the past. Because that's how forgiveness works. Over and over again in the Bible, we're told that God's forgiveness means he really does forget. I had 20 passages I was going to read that say just that. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read one and in the spirit of math, again, just put an exponent on it of 20. Jeremiah 31, 34. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Meaning when God forgives, it's gone. He's never going to bring it up. It's gone. We might get stuck. We might want to bring it up, but it is gone. I remember talking to somebody in my office one day that was uh, a chase Oker that I didn't know. He wanted to talk to me. I said, sure. So I had this meeting and he said, hey, you talked about in a sermon and at the end you had people pray about how God, how Jesus came and he died on the cross to make it possible for our guilt of our sin to be removed and we could be forgiven. And then when God forgives, he forgets and he moves on. And he said, it sounds too good to be true. So I can get most people would be okay with that. But for me, I don't, I just don't think that could be true. It's like, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I've never told anybody this, but when I tell you what I've done, I, I think you're going to tell me it doesn't work for me. It's like, well, tell me. I won't give you the details, but 
years ago, like decades ago. He was involved in some kind of black ops military stuff and as a very young person and went way over any boundary that anybody should ever go over and killed people he shouldn't have killed and done things he shouldn't have done. And ever since that, for decades, he would sabotage every good thing in his life because he knew how he didn't deserve anything good in his life. And anytime something good happened, he would sabotage it over and over and over again. And I could tell he was testing me. He was looking at me to reject him or to say, and I said, you know what? I told him about Paul and I said, look, here was Paul and here was his story and here's what he said. God, God, there's nothing more powerful. There, there's no sin more powerful than God's ability to forgive than his grace. And that's the killer of shame is grace. And I said, man, if you want to pray and begin a relationship with God, he wants to forgive you and raise you up to a whole new life. And, and he did. And after that prayer, he said, hey, look, it still feels too good to be true. I said, I know. That's why it's called good news. And he said, man, can I hug you? And I said, sure. I didn't know what I was asking, what I said yes to. Because for about the next five minutes, he was just hugging me and crying and releasing and letting go shame and guilt. And he has moved on to a, a life of grace and joy and freedom, which is what God wants for us. Now, there are times that when we do things wrong, and we, we're going to have the opportunity to do just that, and whether you know Jesus or not, to let it go. But there's also complications with other people, because often when we do things, it's not just about us. We've hurt other people, and then what? And as I said, with the rooster thing, that's part of this. And, and the Bible talks about that too. Romans 12:18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Meaning you do what you can do. And all you can do is what you can do. And make amends, ask forgiveness, take responsibility for what you've done. Try to work it out with that other person. And all you can do is all you can do. And you hope that maybe the other person will forgive. And that's always a great thing. And in the movie, that happens. They do reconcile Maverick and Rooster. And you get a flavor of that in this scene where they've just saved each other and both of their planes have crashed and here it is. You know, we can do our part in reconciliation and we're not in charge of the other part. We can't control that. But we are 100% in control of what we do with shame and guilt, even victimization as well. And unforgiveness like Rooster. We, we are 100% in control of that. And God invites us to let those things go so that we can be free and live a full life. What Jesus called an abundant life. Not weighed down with sin and guilt and shame and unforgiveness and all that that we hold on to. For some reason we think it's valuable. It's destroying us. We can let it go. And to give us a flavor for the kind of joy and victory and life that God wants us to live in. This movie does end well. And we're going to see the very end of the movie because you see all these themes coming together as they do achieve the mission and they're all together. But I want us to feel the kind of life that God wants us to live. Let's watch. Good endings are always a good thing. And that's what God wants for us. The Apostle Paul that we talked about earlier, 
Here's toward the end of it. As he was getting older, he writes to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy. And he says this about himself. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants us to live in the victory that only grace can bring. I love this quote from Mike Bro. Tells us what to do with our shame and our guilt. He said, the enemy of shame is grace. If shame tells me I'm defective, grace tells me that I'm valuable. Shame's greatest weapon is the fear of judgment. Grace's even greater weapon is the relief of unfailing love. Shame says that because I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. Grace says that even though I'm flawed, I am priceless. Shame believes the opinion of other people is what matters. Grace believes that the opinion of God is the only thing that matters. Shame claims that I must become perfect or earn the approval of others. Grace claims that I am accepted regardless of my imperfections. Shame makes us hide. Grace sets us free. Shame is the language of the accuser, Satan. Grace is the language of Jesus Christ. All that God has to offer you, I don't care who you are, what you've done, what's happened to you, whatever. All God has to offer you is grace. He paid for it with his life, Jesus did. And you and I can choose to let go of guilt and shame. We can choose to let go of even the victimization that we have in our life. We can choose to let go even of unforgiveness as well. For some reason, we, it always feels like it, we're winning when we don't forgive. And all we're doing is holding on to something that is allowing that other person to continue to hurt us. And so we're going to go through a little process here. I, often in sermons, I, I just take us right to God where we can talk with him. And he's our father. He loves us. Prayer is just talking to God in your own words. And, and we're going to have some time to do that. But here's what we're going to do is I want you to kind of picture yourself. If you want, you can hold out your hand. And I want you to picture yourself holding on to something because we're all hold on to something. And so it might be a thing of shame or guilt that you're holding on to. From your past. It might even help to think about writing it out on a sheet of paper and just kind of holding that sheet of paper in your hand. It might be unforgiveness. It might be something else that you're holding on to. And so I just want you to think about it being right there. And one of my friends who's a counselor does this a lot and he asks people to do that. And he says that when people write that out often, put on a little piece of paper, write it out and hold it, he said, often, They'll clutch it tightly, like a death grip. He's never asked them to do that, but that's just what they do. And he'll say, why are you holding on to it? What's it doing for you? What's destroying them? It's keeping them from joy and peace and everything. Just hurting their relationship. Why are you holding on to it? Because God invites us to let it go. In fact, not just to let it go. God wants to take it from us. And just fill us with his forgiveness, love, joy, and grace in its place. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads before God right now. And I'm going to ask you to clench one of your fists right now. 
And I want you to think about something that you're holding on to. It could be shame, guilt from sin, failure in your past. It could be unforgiveness. It could be victimization, pain. And what God invites you to do is come to him, open up your hands. And sometime in this prayer, I invite you to move from a clenched fist to an open hand and just say, God, would you take this for me? For some that may be beginning a relationship with God, which is, means we simply say yes to him. He, as Brad talked about last week, Christianity is not spelled D-O. What we do, it's spelled D-O-N-E, what he has done to make it possible for us to know him when he died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead to raise us to new life. And the Bible says the, that the gift of God is eternal life. And he's just saying yes to the gift and saying, God, I want your forgiveness. God, would you take away the guilt of sin? Would you take away my shame? And God, would you make me a new person? You said anyone. And I'm trusting that's true. And I'm, I want to be one of those anyone's. For others of you, you may already have a relationship with God, but there's stuff you're still holding on to. Let me encourage you just right now to say, God, take it away. I let it go. I give it to you. And as you say, once it's gone, you don't remember it anymore. It's gone. Same way with my unforgiveness, God. Would you help me right now? Just my, my emotions may take a while to catch up, but would you help me right now to just make the decisions, decision to say, I, I forgive. I'm not going to give that person control over me anymore. I want to be free. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. And that you want us to live free and full lives. You want us to soar. Not be stuck on the ground with shame and guilt and all this other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.